Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is episode 30. Wow. We're getting close to my number, 32. So when we say, when we go live for 32, you can say, you know whose number this is? And I can say, yeah, mine. Except you said that we can't do that anymore. Yeah, but for 32, I'll allow it. All right. Well, this is Millennial Sports Talk. I'm Michelle Margot. That is Ben Verlander. Ben Verlander does kill the buzz on everything Wow. Related <laughs> on, on everything, period. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is me. <laughs> no, he kills the buzz on every fun idea I have, like relating our episode numbers to famous athletes. Mm-hmm. But I like, we never voice. really got feedback either way on that. So maybe everybody hated that idea. And that's just in my head that I liked it. Yeah. You know what? It was, it was great. I enjoyed it while it lasted. You were, see, you're such the bigger person of the two. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> big news happened this week. Um, is the big news that we got professional BMX and mountain bike rider Ryan Nyquist on the show? Um, it was not, but that is that also, is big news. big news. I am very excited to have him. But the big news I was referring to is uh, that Lucas Giolito mm. of the Chicago White Sox threw a no-hitter. This week, and I tuned in for the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. And for those of you that do not remember, I will brush you up on why that is so important for us here. But a few episodes ago, Michelle and I uh, placed wagers on this on on this season, right before the season started. Um, we had three three wagers: who will win the NL East, and and these aren't just your normal predictions, like you know. Uh, Dodger, we kind of did like off the wall stuff. Uh, who will win the NL East? Who will win the NL Central? And will there be a no hitter? Yes or no? So, up to this point, you now know why I'm bringing this up because I have now won one of the wagers for sure. Rest of the year, can't lose that one. So, there are now two left NL East, which I have the Phillies, Michelle has the Mets. The Phillies are 15 and 15, three games back of the division lead. The Mets are 15 and 20, five and a half games back of the division lead. And in the NL Central, Michelle has the Brewers, who are 16 and 18 and four games back. And I have the Reds, who are 15 and 20 and five and a half games back. Michelle, I was high on the Reds, if you remember. I actually had them in the uh, NLCS and perhaps the World Series. And that. Perhaps, hold on, perhaps the World Series? I had them you in the had World them Series. in the World Series. I then. had them in the World Series. Yeah. See, Don't downplay yeah. it. I did. I did. And it's not, it's not going well. 
It's not that one's not going well. But I'm in I'm in good shape for our bet. So you, I, which one did you choose? You're going to be singing "You Raise Me Up" by Josh Groban live on air. I think I have a new enemy. Uh, Lucas Giolito. A hundred percent. And if I ever come across him on on the field again, I'm just I don't want to be that person that blames you know their their own fantasy football pick for not helping their team. But like in this case. I'm I'm not gonna publicly sing. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I will because whoa. I don't I don't back it's just, down it's from one the line. bet. It's one line of it's my choosing. Line. Yeah. Um, I don't know if side note. I don't know if you actually know Lucas Giolito, but like incredible guy, really, really good guy. I don't. I think I remember us covering him. There was some story I think where he one off season he just wasn't performing up to to what people expected of him and he wasn't doing well and then i think in this could I, I need to double check this actually but i think he had a pitching coach or something that helped him one off season like with like the smallest mechanical adjustment and like completely transformed everything mm. does that sound accurate i'm going to look it up right now wow we are live on a podcast that uh that sounds right i feel like I've heard him talk about that and the way he, you know, when he was pitching with the, the Nats and coming up through their organization and then just kind of not, not feeling himself and not, not throwing as well as he would like to. And then literally tweaked something like small, small and has, you know, really flourished with flourished the, is the word. Thank you. Did you watch the no hitter, by the way? Did you see the end of it? I did not. Really, I was asleep actually. Oh my god, I don't go to sleep until literally since almost day one of the world shutting down. (laughs) I my sleep schedule and eating schedule and everything is just so far off. Off. There will be days where sometimes I'm not asleep until three a.m. You know. Uh, I have a guess as to why though. Do you? Twitch. Um, no, I'm not twitching, twitching. I'm not on Twitch until three, but it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, like when I was playing baseball in a sense, like I would play and I would play, we'd play from seven o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. And then, you know, I, I'd get home, I'd eat right after the game and then I'd get home and be like, I want to, like, I'm not ready to go to sleep. I just want to relax and hang out and, you know, this um, is the longest research. I know. Well, I'm, like, I'm listening to you and I'm looking at you, but I'm trying to also, it's also I really not something, hate. It's not something like easily research. Like when, normally when you're like, I'm going to research it real quick. It's like what year was so-and-so doing so-and-so, but you're like looking up what mechanical adjustment did Lucas Giolito make. <laughs> He's probably made in, like a hundred. In 2016 that resulted in him pitching the way that he is now. I think it was 2018 or 2019. It was the off season between 2018 and 2019, I think. But you know what? It doesn't matter because I, he did make it. I did find that he made I But the coach thing, I knew it was a coach in California, and I don't remember who. But the point is that coach is also my enemy because he's the one who helped the mechanical adjustment. Does that make sense? It does. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, Millennial Sports Talk is brought to you by Bet Online. Now that uh, playoffs are in full swing, you can take full advantage of sports being back. Get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well because it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag 
ag and sign up today. Michelle, I would like to do the go to the week this week. I have somebody in mind, not particularly sports related, but I'm tying it back into sports. Okay. The go to the week, as you know, uh, a couple days ago was Jackie Robinson day. Um, and you know, that that's a strong and powerful day around baseball. And it, it became, became even more so this year with everything going on in the world. Um, so two, I believe it was two or three days ago, Jackie Robinson day. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, a really good movie on the subject is 42 and Chadwick Boseman is Jackie Robinson in 42. Um, as many of you, probably all of you already know by now, Chadwick Boseman passed away um, on Jackie Robinson day the other day. And uh, he played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. Um, you know, Chadwick was an, an incredible human being um, from the Black Panther to, to Jackie Robinson to, to playing and, and Marshall, just a, an incredible guy um, for him to, pass away after a four year battle with colon cancer on Jackie Robinson day after playing such a powerful human being in that movie and doing it so well. Um, I just wanted to talk about him for a second and, and the guy he was and not make this a, a sad story because we all know how, how sad it is. Um, he's 43 years old, passed away from colon cancer. That's sad in itself, but he was an incredible human being and, and listening to him talk, um, about life, about enjoying life and, and about surrounding yourself with people you care about. And, you know, just an incredible guy. And, uh, yeah. And, and it's just, you know, you never know, you know, last, one of the last things I saw from him was a video. Um, and he looked really, really skinny and a lot of people were, were after him like, dude, what, why, why do you look like that? And blah, blah, blah. Um, it just goes to show you, you never know what people are going through. Um, so don't judge and, you know, just an incredible guy spreading an incredible message and uh, tragically passed away at the age of 43 on Jackie Robinson day after playing Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. Um, so yeah, just wanted to highlight Chadwick Boseman as this week's goat of the week. I love this goat of the week. One of my favorites um, because the movies that he had parts in were so influential and um, I mean, 42 is one of my favorite movies, actually. And I remember when it came out, I've seen it multiple times since. He did a great job in that movie. Um, and you're absolutely right about the, you know, the, the bullying that came along with the pictures of seeing him out in public, very skinny. And people, you know, saying what they wanted to about why he was skinny. And um, you just really don't know what people are going through. And I absolutely think you got to take things with a grain of salt. And so that's a, that's a great, great go to the week. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Appreciate that. On a lighter note, <laughs> um, we have Ryan Nyquist, who is a yes. professional BMX and mountain bike rider, and he's the USA BMX freestyle coach. He's one of the most decorated X game participants and considered one of the greatest and diversely skilled writers ever. And let me tell you how much fun of an interview he is. Um, so without further ado, let's welcome Ryan Nyquist in. What's up, Ryan? How you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? We're I'm doing great, man. Well. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. 
How's uh how's twenty twenty going for you? Oh, it's a blast, man. It's just it's just <laughs> another year, you know, like nothing really unusual about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh it's it's been it's been interesting, you know. Um actually it's the first year that I can remember since I was uh I think a junior year in high school, um, that I've I haven't traveled like during like the summer which has historically been like the busy season when you're like taking two or three trips a month um and i haven't left so that wow. was that's been an adjustment just being home you know kind of like you know not knowing what to do myself figuring out like how to fill my plate back up because i'm i'm not the kind of person that can just sit there and idle um as much as i feel like i want to i get pretty stir crazy so and you're um, supposed to travel for the olympics this was you're supposed yeah, to go to the olympics this year yeah, we had some big trips planned and uh, <laughs> just got canceled. So, so yeah, it was a uh, it was definitely a bit of an adjustment. Um, and now the biggest thing that we're dealing with is uh, well, one of the biggest things is you know the kids. I have three boys and the schooling that they're having to go through with all the virtual stuff. Um, that's my new biggest venture is um, you know just <laughs> trying to try, literally. It's like like trying to be organized trying to make sure that they're on every zoom call every google <sighs> chat every classroom you know is uh checked into and they click the button that says they turn the it's like it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 a full-time job man and i, I give it to the teachers because they had to set all this up and make it make sense for them and also think about us and it's it's insane you know and i know i'm not alone out there when i say it. it's like it's a struggle um yeah but it has been a big challenge. So right now that's like literally like once we get done here, I'm going back home and I'm going to log into my kid's classroom and be like, Oh, that's right. We have science homework to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Ryan, you were part of the X games from the early days, from like the very beginning days. Um, how would you compare the, the difference from then to, to how it is now? Cause it's, it's a, it's a huge deal now. And I know when it was first getting off the ground, um, you first competed in 96. What, what's the difference between now and then, you'd say? Um, you know, I think that they've kind of figured out how they want to, like, operate, you know, be, meaning X Games. Um, yeah. Back in the day, we had these massive venues. You know, we would take over just, like, tons and tons and tons of square footage, you know, whether it be in a stadium or – you know, inside and outside the stadium, you know, for a couple of years, we took over like Staples Center, like, you know, we were at the Staples Center, we were also at a stadium. I mean, it was it was a big, big deal. US, I think that like in LA, we were at like the Coliseum as well. Like it was, Jeez. it was pretty crazy. Yeah, it, it was a large, large venue. I think they've scaled down quite a bit. And that's, that's one of the biggest things. I mean, X Games is still, you know, one of our premier events. And uh, there's a lot of prestige that comes with riding well especially if you can go like right away with some hardware like gold silver bronze um it's 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 a big deal you know and that that part of it never really has changed you know like i think a lot of a lot of kids came up watching the x games and and dreaming about being in them or dreaming about winning a medal and you see a lot of those kids now kind of making that dream uh come to fruition so um it's it's always been like a high level event and it remains a high level event um i think just you know like anything things change, you know, I think back in the day we had TV and that's really it. There was no Instagram, there's no right. Facebook. So you have to like kind of adapt for that too. And I think the digital side um, has definitely become uh, very prevalent, especially 
in 2020 because nobody can meet up anymore. So mm-hmm. X Games was canceled this year, but they did a pretty good job of doing like a lot of um, a lot of their events that they were st- like hosting, like the real BMX, real skate, real moto. Those are still going on, so they're still creating content. Um, but you know, the TV side is very much dwindled down. Whereas before. I mean, TV was God, you know, like if you got TV time, it was, like you were cashing in. So. <laughs> How were the crowds? And when you were like in Staples Center and Coliseum back when they were in huge venues, were they like packing oh. them in? Yeah, it was nuts, man. Like Damn, it was, that's uh, I think Philly was a big one for us. We had like the entire stadium full. Jeez. And when you have, I mean, you're talking, you know, that kind of energy, that kind of like noise. I mean, you're, you're talking like an NBA yeah. basketball game, you yeah, know, like sure. it's, it's nuts. So when you, when you're in the center of that, like it's cool when you're at a game and you're like, everybody gets hyped up and you're like, wow, that's amazing. But imagine being like on the floor in the middle of it and all that noise yeah. is being directed to you. It's a different game, you know, like, and that honestly that, that played with a lot of people too, because that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of eyes on you and you're in the center. It's like, you know, it's you, people freak out, man. They do. Yeah. So it's, it's part of the competition, you know, like it's, it's part of being there and being able to do it when all eyes are on you. But those were some amazing times just being in the middle of that. You have so much experience. Not only do you have your own professional career, but you're also the freestyle coach. So how do you juggle doing both? Um, adapt, adapt or die basically, you know, like, um, you know, my career, as I said before, was so heavily focused on competitions and getting coverage and TV time. Um, and that has evolved to where you are really just trying to create content for your sponsors or content for yourselves. And in some ways it's worked out in my benefit that I've been able to do this, these slow shifts from, you know, being like a full-time professional rider where all I needed to do is go to events and do well and get TV coverage to now I can sort of create my own coverage through different channels. Instagram is a big one for us. Um, you know, and just creating that content, you know, I have a ramp in my backyard. I can, I can go back there whenever I want and film a video part or just film a clip to be able to post. And that puts that kind of a little bit more in my control. And I have a little bit more freedom now to go to these events and be like full-time coach and still ride kind of on the side. But I know that if I don't do well and I don't get the coverage, I can go home and put some effort into something and still have that coverage and be able to, you know, make my sponsors happy. When you, were let's call it at that the height of your career focusing on nothing but your career um as a writer did the thought ever cross your mind that you wanted to become the the usa bmx freestyle coach and if it was on your mind then what has been the challenge now actually doing it so yeah i mean our sport historically we've never had coaches it's been a really really strange thing to say that you had a coach for bmx freestyle it's very very individual sport so the closest thing we had to a coach was your buddy that you're riding with and you'd be like hey watch this like tell me if this looks good or like or when you slam off the ground you get up and you're like okay dude what did you see because i just (laughs) felt like i i felt like this happened and so that was the closest thing we had to a coach was like your buddy is kind of telling you or filming you and that was it. And so um, that was just an adjustment by itself. Like for our sport was all of a sudden we had coaches and we had people, you know, kind of stepping into that role to sort of mentor these young riders and help them kind of, you know, like basically achieve their goals. Um, so I can't say I ever dreamed of it. I, I know the thought kind of crossed my mind um, for a while. Um, we've been in the talks for Olympics for a long, long time. And so 
Um, it wasn't until literally like the past uh, three or four years, it became more of a reality. And so that's, at that point, I started thinking about like, well, you know, of course I'd love to be in the Olympics, um, but you know, what are my other options? Cause I still love the sport. And if I can be involved in bringing this sport to that next sporting level, you know, the Olympics is the biggest stage we're ever going to have, you know? So bringing that sport, bring my sport, our sport to like that level and sort of being a part of that process to make sure it goes over well. Like I was very adamant about being a part of that. Cause I just, I just didn't want it to fall into the hands of uh, an opportunist. That's like, Oh, well I can make a quick buck. Right. You know? and, and who cares if it's really seen well, I was more of the thought process of like, dude, I'll do this, you know, for nothing to, to ensure that we have. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean like, you know, I, I want this sport that I kind of came up doing to look amazing on TV, you know, when, when or whatever it's going to be on streaming your computer screen. Um, I want it to look amazing. I want people to be like, Oh my gosh, because in the earlier days when we had X games, that was the effect that it had on our sport was like, people loved it. They were just so drawn to it. And so for me, I feel like this is almost like our, our, the next wave of that. So for us to have an amazing show on there and people to be like super pumped and get kids on bikes, get kids interested in riding. Uh, that's like good for the riders. It's good for our industry. It's good for our sport. It's just like, it, I think it could be a very big thing. So I was very passionate about like wanting to be involved from the very ground up, at least in the USA side. But you know, even on the organizational side, I, I wanted to be involved and I wanted to be able to give them whatever help I could. So I jumped in pretty quick once I heard the word. It never occurred to me that you wouldn't have a coach. It makes a lot more sense when you explain it like that. But if if it hadn't made it to the, I guess, a global platform like the Olympics, um, would coaches be as prevalent, do you think? Uh, probably not. You know, or did that kind of force of, its hand? It, I think it's just kind of like a little bit of a mix of both cultures. So a lot of the um, – the governing bodies, um, that's what we call them basically like, you know, the USA, Canada, France, Germany, like they all have like their own cycling governing body for that country. And a lot of those cycling governing bodies have more, you know, like they have road racing, like the Tour de France, they have, you know, uh, mountain bike, they have all kinds of different stuff, track, velodrome, and all of those disciplines have some sort of coaching. And it's, I think it's really, uh, uh, a stretch for a lot of these governing bodies to come into a sport that they don't know and be like, well, you just, you go for it, you know, just do your thing. I think they kind of needed that a little bit of structure to say, well, we need someone to kind of like be in charge of our national team, or we need someone to mentor these kids. So that way, when we go to the competition, we're paying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per year to do this, that we have someone that's like keeping up with the athletes, showing them that we have, you know, technology that can help them showing them that, you know, nutrition and health is a big deal when you're trying to do a 60 second sprint. And, and I think that was like kind of a marriage of both worlds. Freestyle was historically kind of like, you know, rebellious, you know, a bunch of kids on bikes, cruising around town, jumping curbs, you know, like grinding down <laughs> handrails. And so I think that was kind of a necessary kind of blending of worlds, if you will, um, for them to like, have faith in us that we know what we're doing and then for us to kind of adapt what they're doing historically to their programs. And, you know, it's a work in progress every year as stuff changes, but for the most part, I feel like it's been for the entire world, a really smooth process. And considering 
but I think we only had two and a half years to really get organized from the time they announced BMX freestyle. Like, I feel like we're in a really, really great position. And then, you know, in the next four years after the 2021 Olympics, I think we're going to see some really good growth because we can look back at at least having one Olympics under the belt and then say, okay, well, what worked, what didn't let's change this. Let's keep that. So yeah, it's, it's been a process though. It's, it's, it's ever learning cause it's all new. You know, we've never, we've never done this before. Yeah. Awesome, you know, you mentioned it's kind of, you're adapting and creating new content basically as you go. And, you know, you were considered yourself one of the most diverse and unique writers, you know, when you were, when you were going and what, how did you come up with like some of the stuff you were doing? Like you were doing stuff that nobody else was doing. Did you just, and, and how are you practicing? Are you just, in your backyard on your ramp just like that looked cool let me do that yeah it's uh, yeah (laughs) progression is a really strange thing man it comes it comes in so many different shapes and forms and from so many different directions i mean some of that stuff it was like a natural progression from like one trick oh well what if i can do that trick but throw a bar spin in there or what if i could do this and then some of them you were just kind of like you might have like a wild idea and you're like, I think I just have to try this. Um, back, back, back in the day, we didn't really have like a lot of the same facilities we have now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we would be basically taking a ramp to like a, a lake and jumping into it. And that would be like our safety, you know, like a lot of guys went back. <laughs> Seriously, like that was it. So like a lot of guys learned like how to like get around on a backflip and then you would have to like throw your pads on and have the confidence that like, okay, I kind of understand this. Let's take it to like a real jump. Um, There's a lot of mattresses involved in that kind of time where you put mattresses <laughs> down. I mean, it, was, it, it seemed very crude, but you know, it got us to where we need to be. And nowadays, you know, we have foam pits, we have airbags, we have, um, you know, soft landings. We've, we've learned how to build ramps that can emulate, you know, what we needed to do, but not have as, uh, big consequences. Um, you know, Woodward camp was one of the first, I think the first to really start using foam pits for action sports. Um, and so that that place was like instrumental on seeing that progression curve through the years. You know, we would, I'd go up there for the whole entire summer. Where is and it? Just learn. It's a, well, they have a bunch of them now, but the one I would always go to was in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, in the middle of Pennsylvania, just Amish buggies everywhere. It's, <laughs> but it's, it's beautiful. It's like one of my favorite places to go because it's just nestled in this valley and just nothing but mountains and trees and green. And then like one of the biggest campuses of just ramps and foam pits and dirt jumps. And it's, I don't know, if you ever have a chance, Woodward Camp is, is worth a look. But, uh, but yeah, so I would base myself out of there for the entire summer and just ride and progress and have the most amazing ramps and facilities to do that on. So, um, so it's changed a lot. And I think that's... Um, that's that that attributed a big big part of our progression and i think even more so nowadays is with social media people are getting fed that progression at such a rate that it it creates um a higher level of progression because you can see what you know this guy did yesterday or like a set like basically right after you finish you might have posted right. and you're literally almost seeing that progression in real time and what happens is a lot of athletes unfortunately there's a lot of uh imitation out there but that raises the bar and then some people might see that clip and then be like well i could do that but what if i did it on this ramp or what if i did it with that trick you know whatever it may be but we're getting those progression those steps at such an accelerated rate that it's like i really feel like social media has like really 
raised the bar at like such a crazy speed that we're seeing like some of the tricks that I mean, nobody would ever thought and you know, that it would be happening like this. It's just, it's yeah. really, really crazy. Just take a step back and watch and you're like, Holy crap, dude. Like, are you serious? Like, it's <laughs> what would you say in your career is the nastiest like injury or wreck that you've had? And was there ever a time when you were like, I, I'm done. Like, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can keep going. You know, I, I don't know if there was ever a point where I was like, I think that was it. You know, yeah. I think that crash really kind of did me in. Um, I've had some injuries. I've had stuff, but I've never had it to where like, I thought I was done. Now, the more years I get under the belt and the more, you know, I'm out there and stuff and, and trying to pursue these new opportunities and stuff like, yeah, the thought does cross like, okay, well, is this worth it? Like, do I really want to do this? Because I have this coming up and I have this coming up for the coaching. And so I have to weigh my options. But that being said, like, God, I still love it. I still love the feeling of having that, like a goal and going out there and accomplishment on the bike, you know, like I, I love, this is gonna sound really crazy. I love crashing oh. and, and getting away with it. <laughs> like That does sound that, crazy. <laughs> that is the best feeling ever. Like is when you, when you crash and you like know that you could be in trouble and you have these skills, it sounds crazy, but you have skills to learn how to crash and you get out of it and you know that the average person would have been airlifted out called EMS, you know, like, like that is like, wow. Like I love that because that just tells me that, Hey, I can still, still take a slam and I still know how to crash. I'm in shape enough to where I can take a slam and be okay. And mentally I'm still sharp enough to react like that. So, yeah. so it sounds super crazy, but to me, it's like, I never try to go out there and crash. I, I know that I uh -huh. probably should put that out there. I never crashed on purpose, but when it does happen, cause it, it will happen, you know, like having all the safety gear, all the helmet, all that stuff, and then getting out of it, like, and being able to get up and try it again. Like there's no greater lesson in life than that. So I don't know for me, crashing, getting back up, trying it again and pulling it like that's, that's pretty addicting. That whole I process. feel like that mentality right there is what makes you the best. Like 100%. that mentality, like 100%. It's cool. Uh, thank you. I, I don't know. I just, it's just, it's, it's a really weird thing, but you know, like there's, I've, I've said it many times, like crashing is probably one of my best skills <laughs> that, I, that I've learned. Cause it's like, dude, if you don't know how to crash, your right. career is going to end up shorter. Your, your sessions are going to end up shorter. It's like, right. it's just, it just, I don't know. So it's, it's a weird, weird thing to say, but like, yeah, crashing is definitely not a bad thing. Yeah. Not all bad. Not all bad. <laughs> there's a, there's a quote. Do you know who Brene Brown is? I don't. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. I didn't expect you guys to know. She's a, she's a, <laughs> a famous author, therapist, and she, um, I think it's a, it's either a Teddy Roosevelt or an FDR quote. Someone Roosevelt. I know that, but it's, um, I'm going to read it to you and it kind of reminds me of what you just said. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, which mm. I love. Yeah, like, it's got a, little, got a little goosebumps there, <laughs> so that's pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, it, it like very literally translates because it's like talking about the arena and dust and sweat and blood but in life yeah. like it really is so true but uh, um, some, some of my best memories accomplishments are like in that moment where you're like like do or die right now and yeah. you make it happen like I don't know it's just 
Yeah, I think, well, it's funny because I, I thought you were going to say another quote, which is one of my favorite ones, but I, I want to say it's like uh, maybe Eleanor Roosevelt. And, <laughs> Jesus, and we're just throwing the Roosevelt. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we are so well-read and scholarly. <laughs> so academic. No, yeah, and trust me, like, you'll probably look up and be like, that wasn't Eleanor Roosevelt, that was Captain Crunch. Like, you know, I don't know. It's <laughs> but it's like, it's like, it's do something every day to scare yourself or something yeah, yeah, along yeah. that lines. Yeah. And like that one always like, was like, man, you know what? Like, that's so true because uh, you get this feeling of being alive, you know, like if you scare yourself and you get through it, like there's growth, there's acceleration. It's just, I don't know. Like I've always thought that one, like if I'm ever on the edge of like, do I really want to try this? Be like, well, like it's like I weigh it out, you know, it's like, okay, this, this could be pretty fun. Like every so, time yeah. there's a dessert menu presented at a dinner table, I'm like, this scares me eating a 2000 calorie brownie with ice cream <laughs> on top, but I'm going to do it because that's what yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt told me to <laughs> do. Yeah. Slam your hand on the table and be like, no, let's just, yeah, let's just do this. Come on. Let's bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> um, anyway, well, that was my deep thought for the day, but Ryan, you. um, you're welcome for blessing you and <laughs> enlightening you with my advice. But, mm-hmm. um, you and I were discussing content potentially, and you said, whatever you guys can think of, throw at me, um, I'm game. So I oh. took it upon myself to come up with some odd, random, rapid-fire questions um, okay. kind of to throw you off because you seemed so confident that no matter what, you'd be able to answer anything. <laughs> oh, man. So that, that quote is just really resonating because exactly. I'm read again. Yeah, I'm in there. Let's do it. Um, we'll start easy. All right. Okay. What's your favorite U.S. city? Ooh, uh, I've always loved Portland. Ooh, that's a good one. Port- Portland, have you been, Portland, Oregon. Have you been to Voodoo Donuts? I have. I have, and those are quite nice. So Quite nice. <laughs> um, all right, what is something that people don't know about you and cannot Google and find out? Oof. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. I was going to say my go-to is that I like sewing, but I've gone to that enough that they might be able to look it up. Google it, yeah. That one yeah, counts. So. We can, we'll allow that one. I do like sewing, though. It's like, it's kind of therapeutic. It's like brain. I, I actually like stitching, and I always have like a, wow. um, a sewing kit on me when I'm traveling. Honestly, it started with, uh, so I, like, I played a lot of baseball when I was younger, and the hardballs always had like a stitching on it. And I remember I had one that where the stitching was coming off, and like the leather part was peeling off and I was like, what is in here? So I took <laughs> it all apart. It's basically like, uh, there's like a centerpiece that's like almost like a rubber cork. And then it's just like this twine wrapped around a million yeah. times. So I was like, oh, so while I was doing that process, I ended up with a big pile of twine and like a rubber cork. Well, I thought it'd be funny if I stuffed like all the twine back in there and then got red, uh, red thread and sewed it back up. So it looked like a hardball, and you know, <laughs> But it was soft. And so I was, that's how I honestly learned how to sew because I really wanted to just mess with people and throw like <laughs> throw the ball at their head. But like them think I was throwing like a hard ball at them, but it was just soft. And so that's where I learned how to sew. I would love to see the finished product of <laughs> yeah. that baseball that you put back together. It, we- it looked, I mean, it looked the part because it was like, you know, it, it had been played with, it was dirty, the red thread was there. It was like the same thing, <laughs> but it was just like, so you might actually not be able to find that story online. So I guess we did accomplish this. But. Are, we, are we sure that you wouldn't have been an engineer if you didn't go into BMX? Okay, so I w- actually went to, uh, to university for mechanical engineering for a year. 
Ah, uh, year. Ah, <laughs> uh, year. And my grade point average was a whopping point seven eight. Uh. <laughs> so said yes. year wasn't able to be completed because. No, I didn't even take an engineering class. I was still stuck in like the oh. general education. Where, like, where'd you go? Uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, California. That's a hard school um, to get into. What? Yeah, I was, I was actually, I, well, so this is like great story time. So I, uh, I applied, my older brother went there. He was in um, uh, graphic design, like he's an artist. Um, and I applied there and I didn't get accepted for like the fall or whatever. I think it would be the fall. Um, and so I, and I was applying all over the place and some of them I got accepted, some of them I didn't. And then, so I basically reapplied at Cal Poly, um, for the summer and I got accepted for the summer, which was a really weird way, like roundabout way of doing it. But I, I could take the summer and then would be in for the rest of the four or five years I was oh. supposed to be there. So it was a pity um, acceptance. Kind of. Just it, was kidding. Like, it was like, it kind of a, like a, like a backdoor acceptance, <laughs> but, um, but it's funny because I was 1997 and I was, I was going to do the X Games 1997 and I remember it was at the same time I was supposed to be there. So I literally got to school, checked into my dorm, met my roommate, went to my first class the next day, which the only class I took was bowling, the, literally oh the only God. class. And I asked my professor, professor of bowling, I was like, how many classes can I miss? And he goes, you can miss this many classes. I sat down, looked at the calendar. I was like, I can go to the X Games, I can compete, I can come back and still be in school, done. So wow. I basically just like missed all the possible classes I could right at the beginning, went to X Games, came back, did my bowling, aced it, it was awesome. And then, you know, and then was in Cal Poly for the next year, <laughs> okay. just getting horrible grades. <laughs> so just to be clear, bowling is not the class that resulted in the 0.7 GPA. No, bowling was definitely the one that was that was okay. really Helping trying hard to get. Just, just making sure. Yeah, bowling was the one that was just really trying to get hard, like get to that 1.0 grade point average, but it just how it. how vindicating is it when you're telling your professors like I'm I'm trying to compete in the X Games and they're like, oh my god, this kid is like gonna miss all my classes, blah blah blah, and now you're just like, ha. See, like, I, well, the, the funny thing is, is like it was such early days of X Games too that like I don't even know if like the professors would have known yeah, what yeah. it was. And but like on like I remember coming back. So imagine checking into your dorm, meeting your roommate, and then being like, "See, I'll be back in two weeks." And then you come back and like that bonding. You know, everybody's already partied together. Everybody's already like hung out. Everybody knows where like everybody's room is, and like you roll in. And I remember rolling in. I had this big bag with me, and my bike was in there. And they were literally just like, oh, hey, what's up? Are you visiting uh, Kyle, your roommate or whatever? And I was just like, or Billy, I think his name was. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm his roommate. And they're like, oh, okay. And then you just go through the story. And I was like, well, where have you been? I was like, oh, I was uh, at the X Games. And they're like, wait, what? And they're like, you were watching the X? And I was like, uh, no, I was actually in. <laughs> and they're like, wait, are you serious? I was like, yeah. And they're like, wait, so what, like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I did the bike stuff. And one guy's like, dude, I saw you. I saw you. <laughs> so, I mean, That's but so like, fun. so that got you some friends pretty fast. That's so awesome. Like, yeah. I, th I thought it was cool when I was playing pro baseball and had to email professors and be like, yeah, I'm playing minor league ball. You're there like, yeah, I'm winning gold medals in the X Games. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So it, cool. it was definitely like, it was, it was a cool experience, but yeah, college, I didn't really, I didn't pull too much from college, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Moving on. What does Ryan Nyquist need to be happy? Uh, um, 
I, I feel like I need uh, work. Like, I feel like manual labor. This is sound really crazy, but like I, I get such enjoyment out of like sweating and like working. And, and it's weird. It's like, I don't know if it's like a physical release from my body, mental release probably because I'm, you know, when you're involved in something like that, you, you're not really conversing. You're just like kind of working. Um, I find that I, I get like really, really good enjoyment mentally and physically from just working. So whether it's in the yard, um, you know, chainsaw work, building ramps, uh, constructing things, figuring things out. Like I just, I get a lot of enjoyment from that. So I, I feel like that's one key to my happiness. I really feel like you're Leonardo da Vinci 2.0. Like I'm really finding out a lot of like engineering about you. You definitely had a second career if you want it. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I I mean, like engineering seemed to fit the bill. I liked math. I liked working with my hands. I liked figuring things out. Um, So it seemed like it fit, but I just don't think it was the right time for me. All right. Next question. I personally think this is the most challenging of the questions. Oh, snap. All right. How many of Snow White's seven dwarves can you name? Oh, I like this. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not many. Uh, grumpy, I know that guy. Um, yeah. Uh, happy, is that one? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, frumpy? No, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is not one. Negative Ghost Rider, uh, but... Dang, um, I got I got happy and grumpy. Um, I don't dude, know. I might be sleepy. Might is be sleepy super, one. Sleepy is one. Um, is dopey? Dopey. Dopey is Ooh. also one. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mopey. I feel. No. <laughs> I was about to go into like the uh, like the the reindeer names, like dancer and prancer, and. <laughs> I mean, we could switch. I, well, do you know them? Do you have them in front of you? I, did, I, I did, like... definitely did not know them, but I Googled them. So we got four okay. to combine for four. Okay, correct. Yeah, well, so yeah. Doc, which is the one that I Doc. came out of left field. Doc. Sneezy and Bashville. Uh, I wouldn't uh, see, I, I always, I'm always looking for the names of like the, with the Y at the end, but exactly. Doc and Bashville, they, they, I feel like that's a trick question. Yeah. You did well though, actually, better than I thought. <laughs> Well, I had, I had my buddy come in and help me out. We, went, <laughs> we, had, we had two for two. We tag-teamed it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Would you rather ask permission or beg for forgiveness? Beg for forgiveness. I figured that much. Yeah. I, I've, I've had many, many of those begging sessions, actually, where it's just like <laughs> – and it, it's like, oddly enough, it's like it usually pertains to like building something in my yard that – I kind of know I'm not supposed to, and I don't really have a permit for, but I'm hoping for the best, you know, like, and it's, I don't know, like I've had to tear down ramps because the city came in and be like, you can't do that here. And I'm like, well, you're like, you're building a skyscraper in your backyard. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, well, I mean, I, I, okay, well, so what's it going to take to make it right then? Let's just figure this out, you know, but it's just like, but it's, yeah, like I, I just, I'm very much like a, I like to just go full steam ahead and just try to like, get things going especially when you're motivated like i just i don't know, like to i like to like strike while the iron's, iron's hot yeah. if you will but you asked permission from your bowling professor good point well because because i knew see there was a lot of stake because my parents really wanted me to go to college and i knew <laughs> if i got kicked out i'd be disappointing them so i was like trying to find that happy balance of like let me go to x games keep me enrolled in school like let's, <laughs> let's figure out how yeah. to do both you know so there's some negotiation going on there too <laughs> 
All right. Final question. And then we will let you go. Okay. If you found a hair in your food at a restaurant, would you send it back? No, I never do that. I, it's like, I can't, I can't do that. That was judgy. Like, that was a judgy answer from Ryan. I, know, I, just, I actually I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't send it back either. I can't I do can't. it. I would I feel too bad. It. I okay. would feel bad yeah. for that person. If that, it wasn't a hair, what if it was a bug? Oh, I'd send it back what, for a bug. What kind of, what kind of bug? <laughs> like not a fruit fly, but like a beetle. I, pop, I probably wouldn't. Ryan. You just pick just, it out. Just, and, you got nine yeah, lives, dude. I know, but uh, like what? Extra protein? They didn't even charge you for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I've always just been like more of like a go with the flow. And I hate like, I hate causing yeah, ruckuses. Yeah, like secondhand yeah. I just, like, yeah, it's just like, you know, like even if, if the food's terrible and I, I'm like, it's barely even edible, which is a really hard thing for me. Like I, I still be like, they come back, how's your food? And you're like, it's great, thanks. <laughs> yeah. like, it's great, like, I can't even swallow it, but thanks. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I don't think I could do that. But, I, you know, some people I know, like, you're paying for the experience. So I don't, I'm trying not to be judgy. Sorry if that came off judgy. No, 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 it didn't come off judgy. <laughs> I think I just, would you, would you, I would, you, would you send it back? Would well, I took it, it personally. If it was a hair, no. If it was a bug, absolutely. I would, I'm probably <laughs> I mean, the same way. that's just dirty. Like, that's But I, I'm, I'm on the same, like, not for reasons of my food for, I don't want confrontation. I don't want it to become them feeling bad and being like, Oh, it's, it's free. Like, you know, I wouldn't want any of that. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't know. That's to eat their own, but I just, I feel like, I feel like I'm just going to eat the bug. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to test that theory. If anyone's hearing this in our, is a server. Um, oh, all right. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I know Ben really appreciates it. And uh, best of luck in your future endeavors. We'll definitely be watching and rooting for you from afar. Thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah. it. That was fun. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us, man. No worries, man. No worries. All right. That's it for Millennial Sports Talk. Join us next week. You can find us on any podcast distributor. For Ben Verlander, I'm Michelle Margot. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.